you can't ever run away from that problem because at the end of the day, a successful game is a game that has a lot of players, right? It doesn't matter how many mints you've done, how big your Discord community is and all of this other stuff, how many Twitter followers you have. At the end of the day, it's like, are people coming back to your game? Are you growing that community day over day, month over month? Welcome to Games Growth with Uptick, a podcast about the discipline of scaling digital games. We speak with industry experts and investigate trends to highlight the strategies, technology, and tactical methodology to profitably grow your game to massive global audiences. If you're interested in learning more, visit us at uptick.com. My name is Andrew Agosta, Director of Marketing here at Uptick, and joining me today are my co-host, Warren Woodward, co-founder of Uptick. And our guest, Brent. I'm product manager of Fractal. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Brent. Excited to have you. Excited to be here as well. Thanks, guys. Cool. So we're doing something a little bit different than the path we usually trace today. We're very much focusing on a pretty novel and interesting marketing and engagement tactic. And we think Fractal is really well positioned to talk about this. So I'm going to hold that for a second to explain exactly what it is. Brent, can you talk, for those who are uninitiated, can you talk a little bit about Fractal, what it is? And we'll start there. Yeah, for sure. So Fractal, we're a gaming company that is essentially trying to create this new approach to UA by designing a game. It's a game that you play by playing in games on Fractal. We'll try to gamify this whole player journey, anything from going to a game, you know, playing the events and finding out about other games, creating these incentives and events to tie all of that into kind of a meta game and to use that to deliver players to games that want to work with us. What we learned when we talked to game developers is that as long as there's a game, game developers want gamers. And when people treat their games like it's a work of art, it's, it's crafting, you would want to have people who are extremely engaged and high quality players into your game and there's no better way to do it than to have a pre-beta channel that's essentially just a game itself. Think of Fractal as an arcade. We're trying to run this really crazy program that's sitting on top of these games, this meta layer of incentives. And so everyone who's enjoying that arcade, you would want to get these players into your game because they've already been having fun there. Yeah, thanks for the overview, Brent. I have a follow-up question for just a little background on Fractal. Fractal is a business with Web3 DNA. Is there anything about the platform and about the strategies that we're talking to today that you view as Web3 native or these kind of tactics using technology from Web3 that can be applied to gaming across technologies and platforms? Yeah, 100%. We started as an NFT marketplace. So Web3 blockchain stuff, that's in our DNA for sure. What we've learned since we launched was that there's a lot of interesting places where blockchain can make a lot of these gaming concepts a lot more straightforward and a lot more simple and a lot more compelling. Like for example, something that we've been working on crafting where you pull these items out of the game and you craft them and you evolve them into higher level items. And when you do it on a blockchain, it makes a lot of sense because you have this marketplace to trade ingredients. You can have mint on demand happening in the game where you can complete an in-game event and mint an NFT for the user upon that milestone's completion. A user can then pull out of that item and trade it across marketplaces and have people collect them to craft. There's a lot of concepts that I think can use blockchain technology as an accelerator to be much more friendly and easy to use for players. And then on top of it as well, like this whole concept of ownership over items. That's a big thing. And I think that that's a thesis for a lot of gaming companies in Web3 right now. And I think at some point, it's going to be something that redefines how gaming can be looked at for a lot of people. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So right now, the majority of your games that are on your platform are Web3 native. If someone's coming from the Web2 space, what is the best analog? I know there's not a one-to-one analog. Arcade's pretty good. Is it like Steam? What is the analog that you think is most comparable in the Web2 space? I would say out of all the metaphors, I'll probably stick close to the arcade analogy. We have a launcher. We mm-hmm. don't want to be the next Web3 Steam because we don't just want to be a launcher. Like right. at the end of the day, what really matters for us is to create these fun experiences, these play experiences for players that are supported by a bunch of what we call product enablers. Mm-hmm. A launcher is a way for us to distribute a game and get someone to log into a game very easily. That's a product enabler. 
a site is a way for us to show people great content from the game and have them learn about the game. That's also an enabler. But at the end of the day, when you think about going to an arcade, you don't think about the machines. You don't think about the specific titles in there. There are compelling titles in an arcade that makes me want to go to there all the time. But at the end of the day, you're like, I want to go back because it's a really good experience. I've spent yeah. a good time there. And I wanted to invite my friends there because I want to share that moment with them. And I think that's what we try and we want to do at Fractal. And I also want to say that even though we started as an NFT marketplace and we have a lot of Web3 games on our platform, our product work with games from anywhere. Because what matters at the end of the day for us is that we're a gaming company. And so whenever there's a developer, if there's a studio building a good game anywhere, we just want to be able to help them get the players that they deserve to have in their game. doesn't matter what the stage yeah. of the company. So if that's powered by blockchain, if that's powered by AI, that makes no difference to us. We'll figure out a way to deliver the players over in a way that's most natural to both game developers and players themselves. Yeah, it makes sense. So if I were to kind of simplify that and kind of restate from my following of Fractal, I see what's a bit unique about Fractal is there's a lot of ways that you can discover a game. And to some degree, like that in and of itself is a bit of a commodity. But what I view as unique about Fractal is it's an activation and engagement platform as well, because you have yep. more incentive to play a game on the Fractal platform than you would in, say, Steam, Epic Store, not to put other distribution platforms down. But this can be a win-win situation where it leads to perhaps a greater discovery and going deeper into games. I think if the thesis plays out, is that all like a fair assessment? I can be leaking more about roadmap, but you're exactly on okay. the spot in terms of what we're trying to do. Basically, you can play a game anywhere. Well, ideally, yeah. we have exclusive titles, so you can only play it on Fractal. But the idea is that you can play a game, but then it's 10 times more fun if you play it on Fractal with all of the incentives and the events and the experiences that we offer. Cool. I think that's a really good place to jump off to do the big reveal on what we're actually talking about today. We'll be talking about tournaments and how they're important as a growth tool, both in terms of retention and engagement. And so let's start with there. Talk about how Fractal is thinking about using tournaments as a lever for player engagement. And is this something that we need to focus Web3 about this? Or is this just broadly, can we talk about games in general? We can talk about games in general. I think there's a specific set of needs that Web3 games have. They also tend to be a little bit more early stage than some of the more established Web2 games. There's probably like a unique intersection of needs and what we offer through tournaments that made it something that's popular within the Web3 game world. But we can we can talk about it broadly. So essentially what we call tournaments, it's one product feature that we have, which are like community leaderboard competitions. We've done different forms of tournaments where on the various kind of esports competition level, we hosted these like bracket tournaments where you have to sign up beforehand, you have to find a team, and then we do a big showdown with single double day elimination. And we put it on stream, we put it on Twitch. It's like a proper esports event. And then on the very casual side, we've also had, let's say, live events just happening in our Discord. People pop in, they have fun. Games like Fall Guys, for example, you just run forward and then you hope you don't get squeezed down the platform by someone else. And if you make it to the finish line, you're able to get something. We've run all of these. The most popular one that games wanted, and it worked well with the players as well, was the idea of an async leaderboard, a short to medium term event that anyone can jump in anytime. And then based on how you do in that event, you're able to qualify for some prices. Ideally, in our case, it's like USD prices work really well for our community. And so we basically title that, that's a tournament, but then it's not really like an esport bracket style tournament all the time. It's a much more kind of relaxed leaderboard based tournament format. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to dig a little bit into sidebar and just kind of exchange some thoughts on why tournaments might be a relevant thing for teams to focus on. Maybe now more than they've thought about it in the past. I'll first maybe give my perspective, then I'd love yours as well, Brent. Yep. Our team at Uptick, we've been working pretty heavily and seriously in growth of games, and not just in the Web3 sector, but a large focus in the Web3 sector over the past few years. 
And an interesting thing I've seen, and maybe this is just having to do with the time horizon in relation to a bull market, but there was kind of a big mass of games that were developed in similar timelines, maybe funded by the last bull cycle, that are all facing similar problems and challenges in a similar timeline. So going back a few years, the challenges that we'd see teams facing is, I need to grow my Twitter and Discord community. We like we need to get our numbers up. We're trying to raise this round. Or we have this mint coming up. We're trying to prepare for like the sale, even though on paper they're game companies. Now the companies that I've seen that survived that more speculative period, it's like, we've got this game now. As we get people to actually play. Yeah, especially yeah. if the earlier phase of the game was built in a more speculative environment and a more speculative community. How do you reframe and reposition your game as a game for players? I've seen the topic of tournaments coming up more and more with teams that, that I talked to for that reason. I'm curious what you guys have been seeing with the teams you talk to, if any of what I said sounds off base or anything to add to that. I think you're exactly right. And I also think that the problem of, okay, now we have a game, we got to get more players. You can't ever run away from that problem because at the end of the day, a successful game is a game that has a lot of players, right? It doesn't matter how many mints you've done, how big your Discord community is and all of this other stuff, how many Twitter followers you have. At the end of the day, it's like, are people coming back to your game? Are you growing that community day over day, month over month? From our conversation, the developers that care the most about their game, which are also obviously the ones that are most likely to succeed because they want to put in this hard work and not get distracted by all of these other Web3 marketing things going on. If you are committed to grow a game, if you're committed to get players, you're intrinsically more motivated to find out what player acquisition tools are out there or mm -hmm. what features companies have to help you get there, whether they're in Web2 or Web3. So for us, when we talk about the idea of tournaments, there are just people who get it and there are folks that don't. And the people who get it are exactly the type of game developer studios that we want to work with. So it's yeah. usually not a very hard conversation where we have to sell something to someone. Like you said, these games are early stage. Anything that helps them get to a critical mass of players who are able to give really good feedback on the game loop, on just how things work. When people care about that, we work it out. And then it's also like a process where we co-design, we listen to the developers on what they want. We spend an equal amount of time trying to figure out what's going to help this game get more players and help them get the feedback that they want. It's a very collaborative and constructive process. And I personally really enjoyed that. I think I've designed maybe 50 to 100 tournaments at this point. Every single tournament is unique in some way. And you really get to know the game and the intention of the team behind that game by working with them very closely on stuff like this. That's awesome. I think another thing that comes to mind that I've seen as a trend is just the simple math around the players that you need in order to assess your product health in early stage. So if you have a single player game or something that's async, you can make soft launch or beta judgments off of a few thousand players between maybe call it like 2,000 and 15,000 total, depending on what you're trying to measure in the funnel. However, if you are a multiplayer game, if there's a PVP element, if you need matchmaking, those numbers get like exponentially yeah. higher. Yeah. And it's really tricky if you try to like brute force and just bring enough players in so people can always match make. We've done the math with some of our clients that we work with. We're like, I don't think you want to go this route of just trying to brute force enough users in so people can always match make regardless of time zones. That's another reason that I think tournaments are a really interesting lever because you're in time boxing and saying, hey, this is when we're going to have really concurrent player activity. I'm speaking in more generalities, but I'm curious if that's another pain point you hear from teams is just like, not necessarily just the install numbers of how many players we've got, but hitting a concurrency target so they can yeah. understand game health in a more active state. Totally. And that checks out with the observation on our end as well, where longer tournaments, let's say we run like a seasonal tournament that goes on for three months, right? These don't go well at mm. all. Three months is way too long. A month is way too long. Two weeks is even longer. You kind of want to create this urgency and have an event window where you squeeze everyone to just come in and do something so that yeah. they feel like they're part of an experience 
when it's longer, people lose interest right away. You can run matchmaking tournaments, but even if you're just grinding the leaderboard, you do like personal best, you would still want to keep that time boxed to just only a couple of days, like 48 hours, just because of the fact that this feels like it's something that's special. And we've actually seen really interesting results where it's like a two-day tournament with the same price pool as a seven-day tournament gets like more players. So you would think if days are longer, there's more people discovering and coming in and trying, but then when it's actually shorter, people care about it more apparently. Really, really interesting observation and pretty tactical. Okay, so I have a question. We talked about tournaments, why that's important. I want to talk about if you're an exec or a leader in the game space or games marketing space, what's the why of a tournament? So you talked about people are pretty easy to sell on it, but what are the objectives that most of these game companies are trying to attain during this period when you're running a tournament? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, in, in the context of if you're building a Web3 game, doing something like a tournament is a way for you to signal to your community that you're actually making a game. And I think that's very important. You want to get these people coming in to play the game and not to flip NFTs and not to do any of this trading. It's like, when you go up to the leaderboard, when you want to beat other people, you're interacting with the game loop again and again and again. And so from just like an optical point of view, it's like, okay, this is like a real game because it's supposed to be played. On like the broader strategic side, I think it's a really good way to drive recurring engagement community especially when games define a format of tournaments that works really well for them and they design the appropriate range of incentives around that. They can just run that playbook every week, every day, every month, and it gives the community something to do. You can keep your community engaged every step along the way. What we found has been the more obvious value add for game developers, and this appeals to like a very specific profile of developers, is when your game is early stage mm-hmm. and it's somewhere between alpha or beta but not close to open beta yet. So like it's really early in the game's life cycle. When you're at that stage, when you want to do these game nights in your Discord and you're hoping to get, let's say, 100, 200 people to show up every time, but you struggle to get to that number, a tournament helps you bring that initial surge of users who are early enough that when things break, they care about that enough to tell you. And so getting to a critical volume of these feedback helps you define like the foundational game loop that then you can build on top of. A lot of the games that we talked to didn't really have that built out. They have some intuitions of what that loop looks like and how that can be unique, but it's not super clear. And then sometimes they're building that off of 15 power users feedback in their Discord or even smaller than that. It's insane. But then when you run a tournament and it gets 500, sometimes it gets to 1K, 2K, 3K, it gives you more data points to work with. Simultaneously, it doesn't put you under the water for doing something like an open beta where you have to deal with thousands, tens of thousands of people. And it's like people just complain about the game crashing and they're not really giving you good signals. It's sitting in that middle spot. And I think the reason why it worked really well for us was because the game developers that we're talking to, they happened to be in that stage. When we were doing this, it's a lot of insights on both sides as to what our users wanted. And game developers use that to shape their game. We used it to shape our product. It was a really good combination. Yeah, that's a really fascinating insight. It's very similar to what Warren was saying. It's almost like an early soft launch or even pre-soft launch tool to help developers hone and sharpen the quality of their early gameplay. That's really fascinating. A very tactical stress test of totally. certain parts of the game. But it feels like, more fun than a stress test because it's, right. it's a competition. You know, cool campaigns, cool bosses. You come in, you're going to win a couple bucks. If you do well, you have to brag and write if you come on top. Players love that stuff. It doesn't feel as dry as come in, help us test this game. If you do it, we're going right. to send you like a vulture. It seems like this is what we want and we're going to get you to do what we want. Versus for tournaments, like we're trying to do this in a way that you want. And then in that process, we're going to learn what we need. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. So I think that's a really good place to bridge to talking about what are some learnings about tournament design and how those needs for a tournament evolve across the life cycle of the game and product? Yeah, that's a good question. Where do we start? I think a good tournament based on our learnings, first of all, it needs to be short. That's what we've figured out. 
Second, you want to have a long tail distribution where this depends on the player segments. I'm talking just about the broader profile of some of the Web3 games, more of the Web3 games that we've worked with. But there's a lot of people that are gamers that live in countries where when you get a dollar or two dollars from a tournament, it's meaningful right. and they care about that. And these people provide equally valuable feedback about the game loop as you would get from someone who's like living in a country where they want to win, let's say, a hundred bucks to make it worth it. Let's say you just want to do a tournament with a thousand dollars. You don't want to put that to like the top 50 players. You want to spread it across the first 1,000 players where you might have a heavier distribution at the top. You win first place, you get 70 bucks. And then later, as you go down that curve, anything from like 500 to 1,000 spot, you would get like a dollar each. From like a player volume perspective, that drives much better results than having a top heavy leaderboard. That's super uh, that's, interesting. That's really technical. Yeah. And so just to give you an example, we run tournaments in the past, let's say like the same tournament, right? We had, I think, 3K, and then we just gave it to like the top 300. That got us like around 1.5 to 2K. And then when we broke it into like the first 1,000, first 1,500, the number went to like 3.5K. Mm -hmm. It was a completely different segment of audience we then attracted. But then when we looked into people who are making content about this, it was like, oh, people in Brazil, KLLs in Brazil were picking up about this and they're telling their followers that you can try this game and you can make real money by playing this game. Even a dollar is like super crazy and meaningful because you can get by pizza, for example. That was a key learning that we had. The other one was when you're designing a tournament, you don't want to design something where it's very, very grindy. There's some leaderboards was like, it's seven days. You kill as many zombies as you can. If you kill a million zombies, you can just constantly go up that leaderboard. But when that happens, like day two and day two, it feels fun. Day three and day four, it feels like a job. And then right. towards the end, even if people were coming in, just playing for an hour, it's like, well, for an hour, I got 1K points. People on the top of the leaderboard has a million. I'm never going to be able to win. Like they don't even want to try. So like, well, you want to figure out how to do stuff like that. You want to maybe do like a grind leaderboard, but then also adding like a raffle component where someone can just pop in, try a couple of games, and then they have a raffle ticket. And then with the raffle ticket, you might be able to redeem from a separate raffle pool that doesn't require you to get to the top of the leaderboard. You want to make sure there's have basically a shot at making it work. I would also say in terms of the rules, we've tried in the past where brackets and sign up and teams and big streamer showdown. You can put a big price pool too. You can put 10K, like 50K. We've seen other companies do amazing price pools. But when the rules are complicated, when the thing seems like you have to jump through multiple hoops to get to, or you have to set up an account, invite your team and show up on a day and go into this lobby, be in this Discord, have this bull channel going on, people just don't care. And too much work. Yes. And gamers, the reason why someone is a gamer is because they want fun. When you want fun, you don't want to do work and you just want to play the game, right? One thing that worked well for, I think, our presentation was at the end of the day, it's a leaderboard. It's a leaderboard that you can go onto this link and check out. There's no other work that's there. If we can nest a tutorial in the game, we do that because right. that's less work than having someone read an article of rules on Fractal on right. our service. So the more you abstract that work away, the better that works with players, for sure. And then yeah. I think the last one I would say is even for PvP games, a lot of these PvE tournaments were very popular with players. Because when you have PvP, you have anti-cheating, you have botting, you have all these issues that game developers sometimes, like, they don't even know how to address. And it's really frustrating. When you have PvE, people typically complain less. When you have shared objectives, they also feel like they're part of something bigger and everyone's working towards the same goal. So even for like PvP FPS games, the most successful format that we did was Zombie Onslaught. And it's like, mm. how many waves can you survive? And you can just pop in, do it yourself. You can do it anytime. There's a little bit of grind. But it works better than trying to pay people against each other. So like people complain about Agar versus this guy who was like number one in like North America server. Like I had no chance of winning this at all. And it was like laggy and it was like computer issues and all that. Yeah. Stakes yeah, feel felt lower, which actually makes it more fun. 
Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. So like you give a lot of insight there, but to summarize, number one, simplicity, make sure that it's easy to understand. Number two, broad based prizes, make it seem like yeah. anyone can have a shot and anyone can at least get some sort of participation. And then number three, focus on a PVE experience. It just seems to generally go over better. It's a decent summary of what you said. Do you see this change through stages of game maturity? That is to say, if they're early stage versus slightly more mature, are there nuances to the tactics that you want to employ? Yeah, 100%. I think just from what we've seen, the more mature a game gets, the stuff that they're trying out with us in tournaments just get built into the game. Mm. Like sometimes a game has a really simple loop of, let's say, you go into a lobby, you set up this battle, we go, let's set up a tournament where you get like a trophy or something every time you finish this battle, and then we can see who has got the most trophy at the end. And then I think the games that have been going pretty well, which just becomes like a daily behavioral loop for players with like leagues and trophy rewards. And it's a part of how players interact with the game. We've seen a lot of games actually do that. I think introducing like seasonality, introducing something where there's just a competitive element in the game anywhere you go. These are all things that I think mature games have. So I'm very happy to see games. I was like, okay, do you have an ELO system? They're like, yes, we do. It's like, well, that makes the tournament so much easier. And like the more mature games, they all have that. So that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think we've talked plenty about different types of tournaments and how we line them with our marketing goals. I want to talk about the audiences for these. How do the audiences for various types of tournaments align with different types of players and then the different types of games that they're playing? If you don't have the answer, that's okay. Maybe I have a brief answer here. I think that FPS players are typically, just from what we found, it's like you have FPS players happy to try all sorts of games. Mm-hmm. The other way around, like casual players would, wouldn't touch an FPS, for example. Right. Yeah. Like FPS There's a barrier, people, a skill barrier, right? Yeah, FPS people would try a MOBA game or like a hyper casual game. They might not play it afterwards, but like on the discovery side, they're very willing to try new things. But then the other way around, like casual people just stay in casual. That makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, that's like the one game that doesn't require that much to get started. Yeah. I think that's a really good insight, Brent. Which genres are going to be more and less successful normally with a, a tournament as an activation lever? And so it sounds like FPS is one where like that language and the open-mindedness to trying new products, probably you've seen a lot of traction there. What are other things that you want to call out of like particular genres or subgenres that are going to work really well with the tournament philosophy that Fractal does? And what are some things where you might want to manage the expectation that this might not be like the optimal way to activate before? this other genre. Yeah. I think just because inherently tournament has this competitive edge to it, I think games like FPS, MOBA, to some extent like MMORPG games as well, or like single player, like Dark Soul, you really want to go through the skill grind to figure out how you can become a better player. These kind of games do like very well. Mobile games do extremely well when it comes to competitive stuff, when they have like trophy systems and stuff. What we didn't want to do was sometimes we talk to a game, they're like, we want a tournament. was like, well, it's hard for us to fit a structure like this onto your game because it's not going to work with the game loop. So these games are a lot more like Candy Crush, like casual. When you want to make people compete with each other and grind and to get higher scores, it defeats the purpose of why they play the game in the first place. Yeah. So like these games aren't prime candidates, for example. Well, I think the nice thing about the paradigm you're describing is going back to that pain point I described earlier of certain genres really struggle with that concurrency issue and getting enough players playing at the same time. This also nicely aligns with some of the genres that work the best for tournaments. So on the other side, these very casual, more single player experiences, those are ones that you can really scale and get data through just more traditional performance marketing in a pretty proven playbook. I think a great thing we're uncovering today, and this is a lot of what we focus on at Uptick, is there's not like one path for success for games. You need to really critically think about what is your genre? What are the playing preferences of your audiences? Where do they live? And this is really cool to explore today because I think this type 
of activation through tournaments. It's not a tool I think most people think is available to them. And so it's really cool to uncover this a bit more. Yeah, 100%. And I would also say that a lot of times the name, the title of tournaments make it sound like it's a very niche thing. When let's say if you're doing a tournament with us and the community sees that it's just a leaderboard competition with a very easy way to enter, very easy way to just play the game that they like and be able to be a part of this experience and win cool prices at the end of the day, the numbers that you see sometimes can be way out your expectation. There are games that try tournaments with us. So like we have like a community of this many people. I think there's probably going to be 200 who will show up on a tournament. Whereas for us, like our typical record for across any games that we've done tournaments with is around one to 2.5K. I think that's something that like a lot of game developers didn't anticipate or expect, which is good. When you're an achiever type of gamer, like the concepts of leaderboards and achievements, like these things just inherently speak to your mentality so that it's easy for someone to understand what's going on and just want to be a part of that thing. Got it. I have a practical question for people listening that might be thinking about tournaments for the first time, thinking about Fractal, maybe less familiar. Who are the game teams that Fractal will support working with for tournaments? Is it only teams that are already on the Fractal platform for distribution and discovery in some way? Are you open to all game teams approaching you? Like if someone's getting excited about the strategy you talked about today, like who should be reaching out? Just reach out to us. We talk to all kinds of games. We really want to understand what unique needs each team has because games are, are very difficult things to build. And so each game is different. And so that's how we looked at how our product is going to work with all the games as well. So right now, there were like there's no specific criteria in terms of what who we support and who we don't. Just reach out to us, talk to us, and we'll help you figure out a way to get the users that you would want in your game. Awesome. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, that's, yes. that makes sense. So one of the things, sort of a bridge from what you guys were talking about before, what qualifies as success? And if this is a ongoing strategy that you guys enfold into a game's growth strategy, how do you think about optimizing your tournament strategy over time? How do you measure success? What are the metrics? And then how do you think about optimizing those metrics over time? Like success for us or for the games? Both. Our audience is probably most interested in thinking about how they can think about this as a way that they can grow engagement and growth within their games. And so I think maybe starting there, and then if you want to talk about broadly how this all fits together, it's fractal, and that also is helpful. Yeah, for sure. Through tournaments, we define success for the games as in, but you're basically growing your DIUs. You're seeing more people come in and getting more interested in the game. And then it's up to the game to figure out how to rework, how to improve their game loop to make sure that their retention is great. When you have a good retention, it would be like, you're just basically getting more users through events like this. And when you run recurrent events, your community grows. I wouldn't call it community, so your player base grows faster and uh, and your game is bigger and people are talking about it more. That's a very easy way. We've helped a couple of games get to that stage and it's very obvious when that's happening. It's almost like you've hit product market fit as a startup. For us, like I said, tournaments is part of our product feature. I mean, it works really well for a specific category of games that's in that stage. For games in earlier stages, later stages, different needs, we have other products that would support that. So for example, launcher for distribution, we have extremely alpha early stage testing with a live group of power users that we manually run. We have live events that we do in our community discords. And we have for more established games, we have things like achievement systems, you know, points and rewards. These things can work when the game loop has been like test and proven and the game has a lot of players who are hoping to, who are already engaged in the game behavior every day. So it just depends on what a game wants. Like I said, it's like an arcade. They have all these different ways that an arcade can work and tournaments. It's a part of the rules. It's like one of the stations there, basically. Makes a ton of sense. One last question is, let's talk about a major outlier success case. So I think you hinted at a few of them before, but if someone with the tournament, what is one of the example of something that's been really successful on running a tournament on the Fractal platform? It does it have to be an outlier. Like it has I can to do whatever. Be like, I mean, just like talk about a success, yeah. talk about a success case. Yeah. Yeah. I think we yeah. want to help our listeners understand what this looks like as it pans out. Yeah, for sure. So one of our community favorite games, EV, was an early client 
we got to know them when they had a really successful game in the Web2 world, and they were thinking about strategies in Web3, wrapping their head around NFTs, mints, and all of these cool things that people were doing at the time. We talked to them. We were like, let us be a partner and help you figure out this journey together. And then we listened to their needs. And like you said, back then in the days, a lot of people were doing things without asking why. So like people were doing the mint, let's do a mint, right? And then so for us, we were like, okay, why are we doing a mint? We want to raise some money. We want to give your early alpha access group privilege in some of these things. But at the end of the day, it's a game, right? And how you present this stuff matters a lot. So we said, okay, we're going to do a wireless token. But the only way that you get these wireless tokens is to join this like zombie map. They built a custom fractal map for us. We're like, well, if you shoot these zombies, if you go around, you can pick up these wireless tokens from the ground. You earn them through playing the game for real. And so yeah. we did that. And that was like one of the most popular tournaments that we've ever done with like 2.8, 2.7K players. We actually shipped our leaderboard in the same week just to support that. And that was the backbone of our tournament infrastructure on the product side. So after that launch, what that did for EV was it defined their place in Web3 Gaming on Solana as like the best shooter game that you can play on a browser. And then we've done so many events with them. I think at this point, probably like 12 to 15. And we still do events with them every single month. Everything after that point was a lot easier because with that brand out there, people just came here knowing that there's an event going on, that here's what they can anticipate and it's a cool game. And so like a year later, I think at this point, EV is like one of the best games with the best street creds in the Web3 gaming world. And they have such a strong community that cares. Like they're like the best type of gamers that you would want to get who are like gamers who don't hate crypto. Right. And EV has the biggest concentration of that community of players in their server, in their Discord. And that makes us very happy to see. Like these are the people who get the utility of using blockchain to support games. They're not people who are like, we're only here because we want to flip for money, you know? And I think these tournaments and events really helped them, helped us qualify the people that they're bringing in. So it's only these exactly. you know, great community members who care about the game, who care about the competition, who care about these event experiences and it worked out for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah. I want to say as well, like it's been a really good journey and I'm pretty sure like AB folks are going to be listening to this podcast. We wouldn't be able to get here without the games working very hard to make sure that this stuff works. Like what I said earlier, a lot of these events were like co-designed. So when we came in with what we can provide our help in terms of our product offerings, it requires like an equal commitment on the game side to be like, let's spend time with Brent to figure out how this game mode is going to go when a player comes in, what should they be experiencing? We map out that stuff end to end. And so mm -hmm. when you put heart, when you put like thoughts into stuff like that, it's good. It returns really good results. Yeah. They're a really special team, game team, I think, especially in the Web3 space, because it is so easy to get started. I had never heard yeah. of them. I Googled it. I clicked a button. and For I was EV. Playing. Yeah, for EV. Yes. And I was, it like blew my mind. I was like, yep. holy crap, why don't more Web3 games do this? Same this thing. is the game that could scale. So that was just... And that's how I discovered Fractal. Like I discovered them through EV and saw the growth of EV and saw that Fractal was doing a lot of work with them. And nothing but good things about that game is one of the early kind of breakthroughs. So, Brett, yeah. I, w I wanted to back up. I think we're getting near the end of the podcast here. So I want to make sure this doesn't get lost. You touched on something really important, which is using a tournament system as a list distribution for a team that has a NFT or a digital platform for their project. And I really want to double click on that for listeners and talk about why that's important. If you have a NFT as part of your collection, like that's an opportunity cost. You can't create infinite supply of these things. Like part of the perceived value of them is that it's something rare and collectible. And by using a tournament system to qualify who comes into your game, who do you think is going to be more likely to be the active player in your community? Someone who just enters a raffle in a random like alpha discord or someone who like smashes people in a tournament 
and shows that they're like the most dedicated hardcore player or in that percentile and earns it that way. It's very intuitive who's going to actually be more likely to be the engaged actual player, not just speculator in your community. So that's definitely, I think, one big takeaway for people today. If you're thinking about how to allocate for an upcoming mint, if you're making a Web3 game, think about tournaments so you get those really qualified people. Yeah, I want to add in a point here, and this is a problem for Web3 gaming overall. Games can be oftentimes very disappointed to know that there is a community that they've built through marketing and there's a community of players that they would need to eventually figure out in order to grow their game. Even for questing, is follow us on Twitter, follow us on Discord, or like, like this trailer, like this YouTube video. When you do these things, you can build up these numbers very quickly, but at the end of the day, you need to really figure out how many of these people are going to come in and play your game because the game is fun. And if you don't have that, like that second set of numbers, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter yeah. how many followers, how many likes you've got elsewhere, how much marketing resources you've invested, your game is not going to work. And then right. if it's a Web3 game project and the game doesn't work, eventually things will just crash and burn, right? So the reason you captured perfectly, Warren, it's you want to do more things like tournaments and you can keep the marketing aspect there, but just don't throw out the gameplay, the player aspect away because the further you go from there, the less likely you actually develop a game that players like. And so the less likely you will succeed in the long run. Awesome. Cool. That was great. I think we're going to wrap there. Brent, really, really interesting new lever that I think not a lot of games teams are really focused on. And so really excited to learn more about that. If someone wants to get a hold of you or learn more about Fractal or get started with killer tournaments, how could they do that? Just come into Fractal. There's a contact button. So you should be able to just talk to us from there. At fractal.is. Yeah, Fractal.is. That's right. And we're revamping our sites. By the time this podcast is out, our site is going to look very different, which I hope everyone will like. But you should be able to talk to us directly on the website. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll just quickly add, we've had a couple of our partners and clients at Uptick that have also worked with Fractal, and they've said nothing but amazing things about the platform, about the people there. And so definitely, if you're not familiar with the Fractal team, like they're all super nice and awesome people. Definitely reach out to that and, and see if there's opportunities together. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everyone. As always, the podcast was brought to you by our team here at Uptick. Here at Uptick, you probably know, if you're listening this far, we do all things to help games grow. We work across gaming technologies. We work in PC, mobile, Web3. Everything is becoming the soup of technologies and platforms these days. And similar to what we talked about with Brent today, it's all about finding the optimal path of growth for every game, which is often quite unique. So we do all the services to support this. We do user acquisition, Web3 native marketing, creative development. And we have a really sweet set of in-house tools that our engineering team has built that give the games we work on unfair advantage in the space. So if any of that's interesting to you, feel free to reach out to us through the website. It's uptick.com. It's U-P-P-T-I-C.com. Awesome. Talk soon.